0: For students as well I you know, you know I mean um, you know I remember as a, you know as a gay man uh, sitting in university and even sitting in high school feeling very isolated uh, and uh, talked about people would talk about me you know and you know with theories about who who I am and that sort of thing uh, I try and humanize my uh, you know uh, my lectures and I try and you know and I reach out to students and I you know let them know that they can
1: and come
2: and
1: talk tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to another episode of 18 Avenue Podcast. I am your host, Rico Bottles, and today, joining me here is a very, very special guest. My name is David Aveline, and I teach sociology at Mount Royal University. And co hosting beside me today is
3: Kira Carter. <laughs>
1: So we're going to get the show started. Dr. Uh, David, I want to thank you so much for being on this platform and giving us a chance to sit here with you and share this space with you. I'm happy to be here. Thanks very much, Rico. Thank you. So let's get started. Um, just, you know, we want to go right from like the beginning. Um, there's so much, you have so much life experiences, not just in now, but from before, mm-hmm. before you got into the field that you're in now. So. I want you to take us back very quickly here, um, let the people know who we're here with today.
0: Okay, well,
1: um, it's interesting, you know, when I, when I was in
0: grammar school and uh, high school, I did terribly, you know, with a lot of Fs and things like that. Um, back in those days, that was in the 1960s, uh, they did not uh, know anything about dyslexia. And uh, I was a dyslexic child, and they just simply thought I was stupid. And uh, I think I internalized that um, because, you know, I never pursued higher education for uh, quite a while. I, you, know, once I, uh, you know, once I finished high school, I went from job to job to job to job. I was a um, underground miner. Uh, I was a racetrack groom. Uh, I sold shoes at one point. Uh, but at the age of 33, I decided, well... Um, I've had enough of this. I need to go somewhere. So I said, well, you know, I'll take a couple of courses in school. Um, And I just kept on going for for 12, 13 years and uh, came out with a PhD. I found out that um, in spite of dyslexia, you know, it is overcomable, if that's a word. And, um, you know, um, I was able to, uh, you know, I was able to do well, you know, and pull off a lot of A's and everything else just by studying harder and uh, this sort of thing. So at that point, I got you know three and a half years to a bachelor's uh, in Montreal, uh, three years for a master's in Montreal, Concordia University, and then I went to Indiana University. Um, I was very interested in uh, human sexuality and. Um, <clears throat> At one point, there was a, uh, you know, there was a um, sex researcher, his name was Dr. Martin Weinberg, and he was in Montreal, and I started talking to him, and I expressed my interest in uh, sexuality. Because I was an older student, he thought I was important, but um, I wasn't, I was just, you know, uh, but uh, he thought I was the head of the department, uh, so he was all nice to me and everything, but he found out I was a student, and um, he invited me down to go and study study with him at Indiana University. Uh, Home to the Kinsey Institute uh, for Sex Research, and uh, I had really quite a wonderful experience, uh, you know, uh, living in the United States for seven years, uh, then five years at the University of Cincinnati as a professor, and eighteen years at uh, Mount Royal University here in Calgary. Um, so that's my life story. Uh, that's 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 fifty years in about two minutes.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we we really do appreciate that, and thank you so much for sharing it with us. Um, just going back, and I'm sure many people can relate to to that um, being in school because of the way things were teachers not ready taking time to cater to individual students um, yeah yeah um, I mean that must have been a tough thing um, it was a tough thing because
0: uh, you know I didn't internalize the fact that I was stupid you know there was no such thing as dyslexia in the 1950s and uh, early 1960s uh, so you know I was in the remedial reading class uh, children would make fun of me uh, and uh, got into a couple of fights in the schoolyard I won those fights Uh, that's great yeah which is good Um, but um, you know um, once I discovered the word dyslexia you know it just opened up a world for me it just sort of changed my uh, whole image of myself but yeah it was tough it was tough I mean um, you know teachers were very strict uh, in those days and um, you know I was I was not excel I was suspended a few times uh, and all this sort of thing. So yeah um, but other than that uh, you know it was it was a good education in, in many ways I learned to write back then uh, you know I learned all about Canada. Although back in those days, uh, when when we learned about history, uh, it was incredibly biased. You know, Um, for example, we talk about uh, talking about the indigenous people in the nineteen fifties when I learned about Canadian history. It was all about uh, the nice, benevolent Jesuit priests who came to Canada to civilize, uh, you know, the indigenous people, and they were ingrateful and killed them and sort of thing, mm-hmm. and um, that's what I learned. You know, um, that with uh, the absolute popularity of cowboy and Indian movies and uh, you know uh, series like that, um, it really sort of uh, was a very biased history in those days. But I think we've learned a
1: lot back uh, since then. Um, you know, y- you say you discovered, mm-hmm. you know, dyslexia, and. <laughs> My, my follow up question to, would be When did you, when did this word? what's the history of this word? And when did you first discover it and realize, okay, this could really be a, a condition? Not that I'm a stupid person, but rather that.
0: I, I, I don't think there was any one incident. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it was a slow realization. Um, you know that uh, you know once, but once I solidly defined myself as mm-hmm. dyslexic, uh, then uh, I I understood uh, why I would miss certain things, uh, and uh, you know, and this sort of thing, or get things exactly backwards, and I still do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, I but. Uh, you know, I don't. I don't think there was any one incident, but it did change my life. And this was this was in my mid to late twenties when I found that out. But um, you know, I didn't really. Um, I had a father that encouraged me to quit quit high school and go out and get a job, mm-hmm. uh, for example, and. Um, You know, I mean, I I think a lot of my students are fortunate, but they're they're raised by people who really put an emphasis upon university education. Um, My parents did not do that. Uh, You know, go out, get a job. Um, You know, if your boss yells at you, take it because you need the job, and uh, this sort of thing, Uh, you know. um, And uh, I had a lot of those jobs for a while, you know. And uh, eventually, I think, going to school, you know, education education is the key I mean it sounds corny but it's, it, really, it really sort of uh, you know changed uh, you know changed my life entirely you know and now I enjoy life I mean I teach at uh, Mount Royal University uh, you know um, right now in sitting at my desk uh, because of the uh, the COVID thing but uh, you know I enjoy my job I enjoy being with students uh, I enjoy being with 20 year olds
1: uh, you know it's fun it's, yeah <laughs> that's awesome yeah um, I Do you have a, a question
3: oh I was just thinking like um, so when you first started going down like going to university and stuff you didn't know like you didn't have an exact
0: plan in mind of where you were going to go you just started no. taking courses and one thing no, like the I mean, other and- yeah. Yeah, people say, "Well, you know, why did you take sociology?" Mm-hmm. And um, I think I almost like pulled it out of a hat. You know, I mean, yeah. um, you know, um, I'm yeah. I, I thought not psychology, and I don't want to take psychology. Okay, um, too many people take psychology, so. Um what's else? what else is there well there's sociology okay well uh, so I took two courses uh, you know let's say I was a part time student next year I was a full time student um, you know and I took every sociology course that I could possibly uh, possibly find you know as well as some literature courses and uh, all sorts of other things I mean for somebody age 33 who would just been, you know, been say working as a you know a shoe salesman you know for 12 hours a day six days a week you know your brain uh, just sort of you know is on hold Um, right and you come come home You maybe watch a couple programs on television and um, you know and suddenly I'm I'm dealing in school with ideas uh, with um, with concepts uh, with world events and uh, this was fascinating to me Um, you know I always felt uh, like you know how far can I go I don't think I can you know I hope that I get a bachelor or, you know, it's uh, going to be so hard but you know, step one, step two step three, step
1: four and, uh, you know, and I found out that I can do it so. oh, That's really cool That's amazing um, So I have another question for you here right. <clears throat> Study how we are socialized and from what I know uh, family is a huge agent um, of, um, of socialization Yes um, The question I have for you is uh, could you tell us uh, the impact that your family had on your childhood? Um...
0: As I say, my family, well, I was raised uh, by a single mother. Uh, She was a wonderful woman, uh, very sacrificing, but, um, you know, she worked uh, as a waitress, which we now call a server, uh, for the longest time. And, uh, you know, at that point, in in those days, she worked uh, 12 hours a day in high heels, which, uh, you know, it's got to be hard. Um, And, um, you know, but her emphasis upon what we should do with our lives that's my brother and I uh, we should basically uh, just you know as soon as possible finish high school uh, get a job stay there you know stay there uh, be nice to the boss uh, suck up to the boss and um, you know and uh, keep that job for years and if you're lucky uh, then you may, might get a little bit of secure secure. but um, no I mean you know um, university was just not in our vocabulary um, at the same time, you know, we had a nice close family. I was raised by my mother and grandmother. <laughs> uh, mother worked; so grandmother took care of us. And, uh, you know... Um, it was, you know, it was, you know, an untroubled childhood, so so uh, that was nice. But I think, um, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, college is not for you, uh, because nobody in our family ever, ever, you know, thought of going to college was, uh, you know, was kind of internalizing me. You know, and when I graduated high school, um, I was actually the first one in my family to do so, you know, <laughs> let alone getting a PhD. So,
1: yeah. Wow. That's uh, it's very incredible. I, I I like that story a lot. Now, at what point do you think? I mean, from your own experience, because things have changed now from the fifties how things used to be. Mm-hmm. And I understand from my own little understanding is that uh, you have um, you know, back then that was kind of like the way to do things. It's like go to work, get a job, because yeah. there was that guarantee yeah. that your entire family would go through the same sequence or work for the same guy until it was yeah, exactly.
0: Work. You know, I mean. You know, you tend to do what your parents do. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, just just to uh, just to say, you know, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. I mean, I you know, I think particularly today during COVID, I have great admiration for the people that uh, deliver, mm-hmm. uh, for people that work in food, uh, for people work in essential services. Uh, you know, and uh, I think a lot of us have uh, a newfound respect uh, because they're keeping us going. Uh, you know, if we didn't have supermarkets, um, society would be disastrous. You know, we didn't have people processing the food. Um, but um, you know, so there's absolutely nothing wrong uh, with good, honest work. Yeah. But you know, at one point, I wanted, I wanted to stop having a job and start having a career. And so the difference uh, the difference is you know a career is like part of your identity of who you are and what you do mm-hmm. uh, you know if you're going to become a lawyer uh, you know eventually you, you get to look at yourself as I'm a lawyer right and kind of thing yeah.
3: I was just thinking how, like, it's interesting you talked about how back when you were in school, like, even the way they taught history was, like, very different, how it was very biased um, negatively towards the Indigenous people. And I think there are a lot of people who might have grown up in those same, you know, schools and environments, but they fall back on that now. Like, oh, it was just the times, you know, that's just how how we saw. So what do you think, like, for you it was that made you, like, challenge those ideas and, like...
0: Yeah, um... I guess education, which brings out awareness. As I say, you know, if you are working, uh, you know, um, 12 hours a day in mm-hmm. a really hard job, you don't have time to think about these things. Uh, you know, I mean, you you know, you watch the news on TV, you go, that's a shame. But, um, you know, if one thing, uh, you know, sociology teaches us to think upward and connect things. So you might see, you know, a single event on uh, the news on television, but, you know, your mind would be connected to it. To an overall pattern in society. Um, I'm sorry, I've talked and I've lost sight of the question. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's good. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Now you're asking. You know, it's an era. it's interesting um, you know baby boom you know there, there are a lot of baby boomers who are really quite reactionary you know there's always the uh, freaky uncle uh, mm-hmm. who's supposed to be at uh, Thanksgiving saying you know, kind, of, <laughs> kind of thing right and um, one of the things that I'm really encouraged by is uh, you know is the millennials as well as the uh, the echo boomers you know who are very aware of these issues. Now whether that's because I'm in university and I'm sheltered and I only see college students uh, you know maybe that would may be the case, but uh, you know I think uh, you know there's much much greater awareness of things like uh, you know micro microaggressions you know uh, which I've certainly had. Uh, all of my life you know not for a long time but uh, you know uh, as a gay man I've certainly uh, gotten light you know uh, aggression microaggressions excuse me you know but um, I've seen a lot of progress with a lot of things but I think we still have a long way to go
3: yeah no I agree I think we have made progress even just when you're talking about like dyslexia and not knowing that, that that not being a word like I think it's easy for me to take for granted just that you know so much research and thought has been put into these yeah, things yeah, exactly. like I, for me like you know if I was to have dyslexia you know people, people would know what it is like teachers now like obviously there are still pockets where people are overlooking different students but it would be a lot greater chance of it getting you know noticed early by a, by a teacher or someone, the resources tell me.
1: Exactly. Available. Exactly. And on the line of, uh, microaggression, um, I often wonder if this is something that we can somewhat overcome and how do we do so?
0: That's an interesting thing.
1: Um,
0: I think uh, you know people of color uh, GLBTQ people uh, they get this stuff all the time right Um, people with accents get this stuff all the time Um, you know and um They say that if, you know, if you're not, uh, you know, if you don't speak up, you're part of the problem, not the solution, right? Mm -hmm. So, but, you know, that's really a nice ideal. And I think uh, we're very nice for all of us to speak up at every microaggression we get. Uh, You know, what do you mean by that? You know, uh, et cetera. But that's difficult. That's, you know, it's difficult for a lot of people. You know, you might be in a situation where uh, if you speak up, it's going to make things a lot worse. Mm -hmm. Or, or That sort of thing So um, I think You know When people uh, Are sort of um, You know Get this mild insult uh, You know That um, says That somebody Has racial bias Or uh, Or they're homophobic Or, mm. or, or, or even transphobic um, It's um, It's difficult To speak up I mean Sometimes we do Sometimes we don't You know uh, Sometimes we uh, You know Sometimes we do, sometimes we
1: don't. There we go. And that's just the foundation of things. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, so, you know, it's going to... Gonna have to move along here <laughs> pretty quickly. Right. So much, so much to cover. Just going back to your job um, in terms of the experiences you had early on mm-hmm. before going to school. Uh, I guess you've done all kinds of stuff. Anything from um, uh, dish diggers, security guards, um, farm hand, uh, racetrack groom, underground miner. You said that already. Oh, yeah. uh, hotel desk clerk and shoe salesman. You've been all over the place. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. My, my question to you is, um, how was your experience with uh, the variety of cultural impact um, on your research and, and, and personal life relationship? Um, you ba- you basically,
0: uh, with all those jobs, um, you know, you think, oh, geez, you know, I was wasting my time, I should have got to go to school earlier, but... Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know it gave me it gave me a background in life uh, you know in that I know what it's like to work uh, I know what it's like to have a an abusive boss uh, I know what it's like to be tired uh, you know and just counting the minutes before you can punch the clock out again mm-hmm. um, you know so um, I think that was a benefit for me um, not only you know in terms of sociology uh, you know and having a sense of, uh, of Canada and uh, Etc. But um, yeah, in terms of uh, being you know well-rounded in life, mm-hmm. uh, you know I worked for a very sleazy hotel once, you know, uh, and um, you know. S- fights every single night you know I was like behind the desk and, and it was $18 a night uh, you know at the end all the drunken people would basically put down their $18 and go up and sleep it off Yeah, you know, it's a rough job uh, so was mining it was a rough job mm-hmm. you know, uh, working in a pretty rough town uh, back in those days and up in Thompson, Manitoba
1: yeah so and when do you were you at that mining job for a very long time? um eight months maybe Mm
0: yeah exactly um yeah, about about eight months. Uh, it was interesting. I was having steak for breakfast every morning, uh, so steak and eggs, you know. And uh, I was a trim one hundred and thirty pounds and very muscular because you know it's just it's just absolute backbreaking work mm-hmm. uh, back then. But uh, you know, um, everybody should go down in a mine. Uh, See, so it's it's amazingly dark. You know, you have a light on top of your head, uh, but if you go around the corner and you turn it off, I mean, it's it's the darkest. Dark Dark you've ever
1: seen in your in your life you know the total absence of light you know and that brings up my next question actually I mean safety is a huge thing now oh. even within the oil patch what was your experience of what was safety like back then and what was your did you have any fear going to work every day no not really
0: I got used to it okay. uh, you know the very fact that uh, you know you're in an elevator with a 3,000 foot job drop mm-hmm. you know you got 40 men and you're going down to my level which was 1,200 you uh, you know, the fact that, you know, below the floor is 3,000 foot drop, you know, but you don't know, think about those things um, some people had a lot of accidents back then, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know um, they didn't They didn't adhere to the safety rules or, or, or and that sort of thing um, worked with a lot of explosives by, down there.
3: Mm-hmm. No, I would just say, like, it sounds like working all those different jobs and working with a variety of people, like what you're saying, it gave you that experience with working with others and also like, kind of links to sociology in a way? like it you does. Have To see all these different pockets of people.
0: It them. does. You know, um, when I was working, let's say it's the shoe store, um, all I was thinking about was shoes and making a sale and uh, and that sort of thing. Um, once I learned uh, Marxian theory, hmm. uh, you know, um <laughs> which is all about uh, exploitation of the workers. You know, it has to be adjusted for the 21st century, but uh, it certainly made sense for the uh, mid 19th century, right? Um, But, uh, you know, the very fact that, uh, you know, Marx said that uh, all of our talents should be fulfilled. You know, you should be a, you know, you should be a hunter, you should be a fisher, you should be a poet, you should be a singer, you should be, you know, any talent you have, you know, you should have time to develop and that's when you're fully fulfilled. Well, if you're working 12 hours a day and everything that comes out of your mouth uh, has to do with a shoe, uh, you know, six days a week, 12 hours a day. You know, you get a little bit numb, you know, yeah, after after sure. the longest time. So, uh, but I, you know, but I would, I was, able, I was able to look back at my experience and sort of connect it to the theories that I was learning. Uh, for example, so I mean, that was, um, you know, that way I sort of looked at uh, having
1: such jobs in a positive way, you know. Yeah, I think that's. uh, Thank you for for sharing that with us. Uh, Moving into your professional life, one of the things that is um, just out there is this. You know, and, and I'm sure a lot of professors get this, too. Mm-hmm. But for you especially, it almost seems like every student online or that has ever taken your course have been able to maintain this good rapport with you. Um, and, you know, uh, you know, like just uh, just to kind of, you know, quote uh, t- uh, something I found online. It's like um, by far one of the best profs um, at uh, MRU. Oh, my God. Uh,
2: <laughs> <awesome>. <laughs> 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 right because <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: because He cares a lot about his, the success of his students. And that's a beautiful thing for students to have that kind of thing. Where do you think that idea or that value that you've been able to just now trust in your students, but also trust in your course and giving that confidence to anyone else who take your course, where do you think that comes from? Um...
0: I believe, uh, in general, in being a nice person. Mm -hmm. Okay, Uh, so that's the first thing. Uh, I don't like making people feel uncomfortable, and sometimes I might get mad at somebody in a road rage thing, but uh, I generally don't like making people feel uncomfortable. Uh, I look at the value of people. Uh, I put myself in their place. Um, You know, there are some students that, uh, you know, try and manipulate you and pull the wool over your eyes and uh, you know they say their grandmother died when they you know they haven't you know they're lying to you but I kind of think that's very uncommon and mm-hmm. I think we you know when students are stressed and they come up to you um, I think it's my job to um, try and reduce that stress why? because I'm a teacher um, you know I'm, I'm not going to say well that's life uh, you know and that's it but um, you know so yeah, I, I think caring about students caring about them as human beings uh, is uh, first and foremost. Other than that, uh, I try and make my my uh, my material that I teach interesting. Um, I have respect for students as well. I, you know, I mean, um, you know, I remember as a you know as a gay man uh, sitting in university and even sitting in high school, feeling very isolated uh, and uh, talked about. People would talk about me, you know, and you know, with theories about who who I am and that sort of thing. Um, I try and humanize my, uh, you know, uh, my lectures. And I try and, you know, I reach out to students and I you know, let them know that they can come and talk to me. Um, you know, I think a lot of professors at Mount Royal University are like that. It's just a wonderful school. I mean, we are, we are a caring bunch. Um, but uh, you know, it's respect for people. You know, uh, that I think, uh, you know, um, maybe that's it. I don't know. It's not for me to say. You know, Careful, well. <laughs> yes. a wonderful professor. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So there we go. Uh, another thing that, is, that might be interesting is that. Um, when you get a fresh PhD you know you're absolutely thrilled as I was you know my god I'm now can call myself done. right you know, but um, um, a colleague of mine Tim uh, he wrote um, he wrote a, uh, articles he's, he's doing research on working class professors mm-hmm. you know professors that uh, you know first time going to university and um, what they have you know a lot of professors uh, in the beginning have what's called the impossible syndrome. You know, okay, here I am a professor, I'm amongst all these uh, eminent, uh, you know, very, very smart people, uh, I hope they don't realize it's really me, you know, uh, they, you know, I'm not really a professor, you know, uh, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So you have an imposter syndrome. Um, it goes away with, uh, you know, with years of experience You begin to develop an identity. But a lot of professors do have that, you know, um, Anyway, back to your thing. Just teach well, have respect for people, and, uh, and just be a nice person. You know, uh, uh, my students say that I'm funny, um, and I thought, really, you know, <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't go for your, uh, you know, tell joke here or something like that. Right. But, um, I don't know. I like to look at life positively, uh, and uh, that sort of thing. You know, I'm the type of person in uh, my condo. I'll say good morning to people at the mailbox, you know, and you know, half the time they just look at me and say, you know, who the hell is this person talking mm-hmm. to me kind of thing, but, um, you know, I'll, I'll continue to do that because that's the
1: way you sh- people should be in life. I like that, Kara. Yeah. You got something for him?
3: Oh uh, no! I just uh, going off of what you're saying about you know you and being a good professor and the values that you carry. Um, I, one of the things that really stood out for me was I remember last I think it was last semester there was that sort of issue with that one professor who made that comment uh, uh, like I think it was like something to do with the N word, and there was like a whole sort of uh. protest thing going on where they were like boycotting classes, I guess. And I remember at the time. Uh, you had given us like the day off of classes to participate in that and then we were to write in an email oh, right. about um, about our experiences with oppression and whatnot and um, I guess uh, I noticed that not all my com- professors were comfortable taking like such a bold stance or taking any stance at all so I was wondering what you think the experiences that you have uh, that have contributed to you making like such a stance and I guess what it's like when you're in those sort of situations yeah, yeah. where you could be over here and then your colleagues would be
0: over there and so sort of yeah it, it was about uh, it was about race and uh, I think um, you know the, um, a memo came down where we were to uh, boycott classes the classes will be boycotted for you know, the very first day of class for this reason okay so what am I going to do well it's about race I have an opportunity here
2: yeah.
0: now I am you know as a white guy I'm not going to say well you know it should be nice to people or you know this is what it's like uh, you know, to feel things uh, when you're a person of color, but um, I can facilitate. You know, so I gave the students an opportunity to see to to voice that you know, how they felt about these issues, um, and you know, most actually did. Once uh, you know, once I got all of uh, the comments, you know, put them in a batch file and gave them back to you guys. Yeah, uh, exactly. Um, we could read everybody's. Yeah, and a couple. A couple of students, I had ongoing chats with. Mm So that's nice. But um, you know, um, giving people a voice as opposed to being their voice, kind of thing. You know, I can be a voice in some ways, but uh, you know, I can't be a voice uh, in terms of people of color because I'm not a person of color. So.
1: You often, um, said throughout this interview that, um, you know, I made reference to you being, uh, um, a, a professor, um, uh, a queer professor who teaches, mm-hmm. um, sexuality. My question to you is, uh, what sort of experience, is it easier now to sort of be a professor and be queer, uh, to teach than it was back it's then? It's much and easier,
0: and it's certainly much easier in Canada as opposed to Cincinnati, where, uh, you know, a lot of my colleagues were homophobic. I mean, Cincinnati is one of the more conservative areas of uh, the United States, right? Um, You know, and a lot of people didn't like the fact that I was openly gay and they thought, you know, well, it's irrelevant to the classroom. Well, you know, I, I actually remember one person in Cincinnati and she'd been working there for 35 years. And she said, I don't talk about my sexuality in the classroom. And she said this in front of a big faculty meeting you know and, and you know and I said to her you mean in 35 years you've never mentioned the fact that you had a husband I said, well you know I, I've, yes I've mentioned my husband but I certainly wouldn't talk about my sexuality mm-hmm. um, and she didn't connect the two at all but um, you know I mean what has your sexu- sexual orientation got to do with being in the classroom I mean you know particularly if you're teaching something like math or geology right I mean uh, well a lot of a lot of a lot of professors uh, talk about, might give an anecdote about what they did on vacation or, or whatever. And, you know, if you happen have to have a same-sex partner, then you have to check that, you know, or any sort of thing. So even math professors, uh, you know, have difficulties. And, you know, I do tell my students I'm, I'm gay uh, when I teach sexuality. Mm-hmm. I don't. They probably know, but I, I, mean, I, I don't uh, with other classes. But, you know, with sexuality, it's relevant, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to relate to how I talk to people. But, you know, I mean, I, I think in terms of LGBTQ people, queer people, it's um, it's much better than it was in the 1960s, uh, you know, and 70s. Um, 1970s, uh, you know, I went to bars a lot, and, uh, you know, uh, all of my friends were gay men, 100%. Absolutely all of my friends gay men. And um, at one point I realized how very ghettoized that was you know that uh, you know I'm with one kind of people you know and um, so eventually you know I would branch out but um I think it's you know the very fact that uh, we have um, you know we have same-sex marriage here um, my partner and I Miguel we, we were the very first we were amongst I, I believe the first thousand to get married uh, you know when we did it was legal in only six provinces we go over to Vancouver to do it mm-hmm. you know so um, but uh, you know it's a different world for uh, queer people than it was 50 years ago so and, that, and that's nice that's nice and, uh, and you know in terms of having a gay professor I don't really I, I really think you know students don't give a damn you know it's just a non-issue uh, to them you know like hey jeez you know, I hope he doesn't uh, you know that, that kind of stuff and, you know
1: I've never come kind of across that sort of thing yeah. What inspire you to take on sexuality uh, as like a career path? Yeah. What What inspire you to say, look, this is what I want to do, and this is where I want my PhD to be in, and to teach that? Because I mean, you could have went, you could have done anything else in your life.
0: True. Um, it's It's a very good question. Um, you know, I mean, sociologists will specialize in lots and lots of other things. Mm-hmm. Lots of things. We have one specializing in gender, another one in disaster. Studies, another one, uh, you know, it was, it was something else. And um, I was the sexuality guy. Um, it's a narrow area within sociology, it's an important one, you know, but it uh, is a narrow area. Uh, I suppose as a gay man uh, growing up, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> You know, going through the nineteen seventies, uh, going through the uh, you know the HIV AIDS era of the nineteen eighties, and mm-hmm. and all of this sort of thing, that I had I had these questions, uh, you know, of um, you know one you know an burning desire to really study my own perhaps myself, perhaps my community, uh, you know, perhaps my my community's history and all this sort of thing, you know, and at least, you know, uh, my mentor, Martin Weinberg, mm. Weinberg in, in Indiana University, I found a, uh, you know, I found somebody that would foster that, so that was really good. Uh, my dissertation was, uh, I talked to parents of gays, you know, and what I found out was they have a coming out Process if they have a gay son, just like uh, just like the gay son does. So it's like this parallel thing, you know. That you know they would you know admit at work that they had a gay son, you know, which is you know fine in you know most parts of Canada, I guess. But uh, you know these people lived in Indiana, Kentucky, uh, Ohio, and you know very very conservative areas. Um, I remember one dentist, for example, it was very very. uh, guarded about the fact that he had a gay son, so he, mm-hmm. he, he'd probably go out of business you know small town uh, small town um, where was that Kentucky mm-hmm. yeah, so anyway I got off the track there so <laughs> yeah. That's, it's always good
3: um, I guess so you mentioned there I was thinking what is it like when you tell people that you're a sociologist of sexuality it's like do you feel like people like it's not the same as saying oh like mm-hmm. a, I'm a math professor
0: yeah uh, people make a joke I mean, okay. it's the first thing you know, oh you no, oh you're studying sexuality you know, uh, exactly. <laughs> you know and, and the joke is you know that you're not really serious about it but you're you're in it for your own you know uh, satisfaction somehow or your own jollies and you know um, so I think people who seriously study sexuality and I don't really do that anymore um, you know they they basically form this subculture amongst each other I mean uh, there are there are these wonderful uh, conferences on sexuality and so you have these people you know and uh, they're all studying some different parts of sexuality this one studying foot fetishism that one's studying you know um, you know lesbians who live in the Rocky Mountains and, and that sort of thing but you know you can discuss sex without you know um, you know giggling about it or making a snarky joke or anything like this you know as a um, you know as a scholarly divide, uh, but anybody else it's sort of like a joke. Um, right. I you know I did have a uh, another mentor. Uh, her name was Fran Shaver, and she studied prostitution in Canada for years. She now just retired, but she did say every time she uh, told people she studied prostitution, she would get a joke. You know, right. so hmm. it is, so you know it's it, it is stigmatized within academia. Uh, to a certain extent, um, and that's one thing I've, I have noticed. So you eventually stop saying that you study sexuality. Yeah. You know, so anyway, oh. and they make you know, you know, people think, oh, you know, you must be good at it or something like that, you know. And uh, no, no, it's just, uh, it just, it's, 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 it's an academic topic, and that's it. Um.
3: Do you feel like this stigma is like prevalent among other types of professors too, like or is it more just, you know, people you might meet, you know, at a dinner party or, you know,
2: people out on the street?
0: Yeah. I mean, sexuality stigma is certainly there. Um, Other discipline, other sub-disciplines of sociology, I don't know, I'd have to to think about that. yeah, do you have an example or in your mind?
3: Um, I guess I just mean like you know like if you were at a meeting with other professors at, I don't know at a conference, let's say of professors, and there's like the math and sciences, like the natural sciences professors there. You know, usually they're oh, yeah, biased yeah. about okay, there's the natural sciences, and then there's the there's social probably,
0: sciences. Uh, yeah, there's, there's 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 probably there's definitely a rivalry between uh, social science and hard science. Mm-hmm. You know, and the, and this isn't great generalization as not right. with anybody but uh, the idea is that hard science is real science right, you yeah. know, and social science is soft science mm. uh, wow. kind of thing one of my professors told me that um, human behavior is far more complicated than uh, you know the behavior of the, of the planets because the behavior of the planets can be predicted mathematically human beings can't you know there's too many variables there yeah you know, it's highly complex
1: you know you do something very interesting going on to um, your method and your approach to how you do your research how you find your subject I find it very interesting because I do very similar thing yes
0: you do Exactly. exactly.
1: <laughs> so uh, this this should be an interesting subject so I want you to kind of walk us uh, through that because when I was reading this I'm like this is interesting I guess my question to you is <laughs> Uh, number one, and I believe you did this primarily when you were do- when you did your ghost stories and was yes, trying yes. to yeah. so and
0: my dissertation research and uh, other research as right. well. I love the the interview, the semi-structured interview. I would say your interview of me is semi-structured. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but. Um, you know put simply you know if you do uh, multiple regression analysis and statistical analysis you're going to learn what and how much mm-hmm. and that's a that's valuable that's quite valuable and you know and uh, you have good facts that people can actually make policies upon um, but you know you if you interview people and if you ask people you know better things particularly people who you know have lived in a particular uh, you know of some world uh, then you're going to learn the how and the why, and you know I think both are valid. You know, there's the what and the how much. Uh, I like the how and the why, and um, so that's why I, I ask people. You know, um, you know, in ghosts, it's like when's the first time you've seen a ghost? How did you feel? Um, you know, did did you actually see it, or was it the corner of your eye and that sort of thing? But I do love the interview situation. I guess because I'm a social person and uh, you know I like sitting with people and having a cup of coffee and uh, that sort of thing, just like you do. You know, but. Um yeah. Um, and
1: I'd say your interview, it looks semi structured to me. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what I prefer, absolutely. Yeah, you know, I mean, you you have this sort of connection because the idea of it, most people are nervous anyway when it comes to interview. Oh, they are. They're not sure what to say, what to do. And it's like, well, how do I sort of take that pressure off everyone in the room somehow, right? <laughs> you stick a camera in the guy's face with the lights.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, what has been the most interesting discovery for? Um, things that you discover doing ghost stories.
0: Um, I think the most interesting discovery has been uh, myself uh, now to explain that um, you know I started this research there's something called grounded theory and what that simply means is you walk into uh, research making as few assumptions as possible you collect the data and you build theory from there right so I sort of thought well I, I don't believe in ghosts and I still don't uh, you know so I can sort of be detached from this I could ask you know, if you've seen a ghost, oh yes, mm-hmm. uh, what happened and that sort of thing. But, um, I, you know, I was very surprised at my reaction. Two types of reactions. The first one was um, I was making uh, private, I was having private thoughts about what really went on. Like, oh, he must have been asleep, you know, oh, uh, you know, maybe it was a car, you know, a flash of light coming in from the window, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So, you know, and I'm making these, uh, uh, making these assumptions in my mind which I don't tell people but I felt dishonest and I also felt really arrogant and that here I am you know just the rational person you know deciding what reality really is and I didn't like that um, so the fact that if I you know just sort of attempted to live in these people's worlds uh, you know and that was much much uh, better for me and I was able to uh, go further in my research as just uh, stop you know thinking of logical explanations for what happened Uh, and that was uh, that was a great discovery but other than that I mean there are people that um, have seen ghosts only once in their lives and there are people that have seen them since they were three years old and I see them all the time and, and call themselves sensitives in that they, um, you know, they're able to, um, you know, sense ghosts. You know, I mean, I, I, if I was a sensitive, I could see a ghost over there, or the former guy that died here or something, and you couldn't uh, kind of thing. And um, I said, what's the difference? They say to open your mind, and I don't know what that means, but still. Um Anyway, um, you know, but uh, a lot of people are very troubled. You know, uh, they're living with ghosts. You know, um, we had a couple of people, you know, they were living in this house and they felt trapped by a ghost. And uh, eventually, and a lot of people just said, no, no, I live with a ghost. You know, oh, yeah, basically, yesterday she was in the kitchen and knocked something over and that sort of thing. And they're, they're quite, you know, it's good company for them kind of thing so uh, it was nice, but it was fascinating research, and I don't think you socio- know, there, there haven't been many sociologists that have actually looked at this stuff. Mm-hmm. But you know, the 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 clash of my own uh, sense of reality and somebody else's reality uh, when we interview people. Um, You know, we operate under the assumption that you see the same reality as I do, and that's how we—that's why we can function. Um, When somebody says, you know, oh, and then an angel came down from the ceiling and appeared in a cloud of smoke, and he enveloped this ghost and then went right back through the uh, ceiling, or that, um, you know, yes, and I was sitting there, and then a man holding his head was walking around, you know, kind of thing. I'm like wow
2: <laughs>
0: you know, are you for real or what you know, no they are you know they're not lying to me they're not making it up they're quite genuine people they're also very intelligent professional people you know I've t- I talked to a police officer I talked to a medical doctor I talked to a um, you know a nurse I talked to a journalist uh, all of these you know um, you know and they've had experience of ghosts in my life and they're their life rather, it's it's amazing it's amazing just getting started with it
1: yeah what made you want to draw awareness was it something that you were already familiar with that people saw ghost what made you want to draw awareness to that and put that in the front light and say hey this is actually going on I think I've always been yeah I think I've always been interested in people who have
0: extraordinary experiences in life uh, you know there are people that firmly believe for example you know, they've been kidnapped by aliens uh, or that aliens are con- Controlling their mind or aliens are still among are, are among us mm-hmm. these are fascinating people you know? um, and I think we dismiss these people as just a lot of cooks uh, a lot of crazy people like, oh yeah sure you did you were drunk whatever but you know that hasn't been um, it certainly is not my experience uh, with people who have seen ghosts you know um, you know there are people that chase Bigfoot uh, you know, and I I think, in terms of the universe, you know, we we divide it between the real world that you and I live in, and then there is the paranormal world, which is behind the veil and that sort of thing. It also speaks very much to religion, um, although a lot of people I interviewed weren't particularly religious. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the idea of the earth and the heaven and then the hell and that kind of thing. Well, mm-hmm. You know, uh, where do ghosts live? You know, behind the veil, and they come into the veil. Some of them are stuck on this earth. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some don't know they're dead. This is all what people have been telling me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, Um, yeah, doing research slowly right now, uh, analyzing the data because I'm teaching three courses.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's 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 busy work.
1: And and you still have yeah.
3: No, I was just thinking what you're saying there about that internal sort of no, this like justifications for why what they're saying is isn't real, mm-hmm. kind of, like, I think applies to earlier we were talking about microaggressions and how there's, like, I feel like when you tell people about them, there can always be a lot of debate about whether certain things actually happened or they
0: were perceived a different way. Oh, those, so are, those like are probably micro, micro, micro. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, clearly when somebody says, you know, oh, you're in school. Oh, mm-hmm. that's very nice. Oh, wow. You know, that's a big one. Right. <laughs> and, I, and I don't think... And, you know... If if you, you also see patterns I mean somebody says something once you mm-hmm. think rather oh, weird but if you know if, if you have like 10 years you've heard this 150 times uh,
1: you know it's the same thing over time know mm-hmm. where it's coming yeah, from sure. exactly, exactly. For sure. yeah it's true um, so you know just going back there was something that I was trying to find out <laughs> but I couldn't find it out because it only gave me half the tale. it didn't really tell me what it was so right. I was curious so I wrote it down anyway as a questionnaire so I gave you the background of it my understanding of it and then uh-huh. maybe if you do remember we can cover that and if we don't we just move on so uh, back in 2016 you you received a grant from a, from, a, from a group and it didn't really yeah. specify I had to do something with like um, sex work I probably one of your research community research or something. I kind of wanted to know like what was the uh, you know kind of like what was the grant for because it wasn't clear at all. Oh Um, oh, yeah. um, And how have you also you know continued that particular research and. Well that was uh, that was not my grant. Uh, I was asked to be on the team of
0: about 20-25 people uh, across Canada to study prostitution and I mentioned uh, Fran Shaver before she asked me to come on board. I got you. The grant was not accepted, uh, so uh, and that was a shame. You know to study, uh, you know to study safety uh, issues with uh, with sex workers. Uh, I have had uh, experience with sex workers. As a matter of fact, when I was doing my masters, Fran Shaver was my professor in Concordia University, and she hired me uh, to go out in the streets from 9, 8, 9 p.m. Until three a.m. to interview prostitutes on the streets, you know. So we would uh, go up to uh, you know, go up to male prostitutes, female prostitutes, and trans prostitutes, and say, "Hello, you know, I'm from Concordia University, and uh, you know, and I would like to ask you uh, several questions." As soon as they got to know us, so this is in Montreal, they, you know, they're most happy to talk to us, you know. Uh, you know, as soon as they found out we weren't from a church or something trying to reform them but that was my experience so I got to talk to a lot of street prostitutes and I I think that was really a uh, you know um a benefit. I mean, I was so I felt very lucky to do so to mm-hmm. find out to ask them about their lives. But no, I mean, uh, yeah. uh, uh, that grant never went through, so, yeah, which is a shame.
1: Right, and that's what sort of like because it didn't. It just got <laughs> sort of it got cut off. So like I said exactly. You know, I mean, you must have found out some very interesting things, but you know, with street workers and stuff like that. What were some of the? You know, I mean, maybe you can give us like one scenario, one or two scenario about the most interesting stuff that you've. Found now doing that studies. Yeah, I, I remember. Um, and was the study conclusive, or did it just get left alone? It was basically the- looking at statistics. Mind you, you, were going back 30 years.
0: Mind you, but uh, you know a few things. Um, you know, for example, I found uh, you know some very uh, very smart uh, educated women who had their bachelors. Uh, you know, and they went out uh, every night because they could make a hell of a lot more money uh, doing this way. Um, I found part-time prostitutes that uh, you know would consider the street a bank Mm -hmm. you know how you make an ATM withdrawal well she said well you know you'd have somebody well I need 50 bucks tonight so go out and turn a trick, get Mm -hmm. 50 bucks and there you go you know then you can go to the bar and enjoy yourself and everything um Some prostitutes were addicted to heroin, um, never found underage one. As for the male prostitutes, a lot of them, you know, were, you know, come across hard times. A lot of them were not, they did not define themselves as gay. Mm -hmm. You know, some did, but, uh, you know, they needed the money. You know, and the ones that uh, got the most money on the average were the trans prostitutes. You know? Wow! Yeah, that's interesting.
1: they they made the
0: most money. Yeah, not too much more, but uh, but the, yeah. You got first of all, you got the. Um I, I, another interesting thing I found as I remember is that uh, if you're going to be arrested for prostitution um, they it's much easier to arrest women for a very obvious reason uh, they will in you know, Montreal they'll come up to you and they'll say hey baby want a date you know and that kind of thing be very aggressive as you're walking by um, 12 blocks down and to the left with the male prostitution area they would not do that you know so basically there's down there uh, then somebody waves them over in the car and the guy would have to do all the talking so you know they they could never the police could never entrap them that way you know because uh, they would have to actually go to somebody and proposition them but for the female prostitutes you know they go and they'll proposition you right away you know kind of thing right because
1: so that, that is, that is interesting that's very interesting and that the arrest records so
0: oh. in terms of uh, you know the gender of, uh, of sex workers you would get a very biased uh, you know picture that most of them are female well no most, most who are arrested are female so uh, yeah that's one of the things I remember what were we talking about
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean there's so much uh, you've you've lived such a vice life that there is like so much so much uh, paper trail to find and and cover it. Um <laughs> But I didn't know that. I, I didn't know that male prostitute operated d- d- vicely differently than female prostitute did. And, you know, it, yeah. it was very interesting to me.
0: Yeah, because they can't go up to you and say, you know, you don't know who is... Who is who. In, you know, is into uh, same-sex sex. sex. Um, you can simply assume somebody is into opposite-sex sex, right? You know, and, and, you know, if you're not, it's not, uh, you know... Um, it's not dangerous to assume that it might be dangerous to go up to some guy and random and say hey baby you know I mean you might get punched uh, kind of thing so they have to be approached uh, rather than do the approaching Got got it a lot of um so you know, so that that was one of the interesting things that uh, I noticed back then.
3: My question was what the the difference is or why the difference is, but you kind of answered that about um, just the safety in that sense and how the norm is still you know uh, of the opposite sex relations, right?
0: So well, this is why I mean I, I firmly believe that it should be legal. If it's not legal, then the uh, the women will go to areas of the city where the police do not. Control,
2: uh,
0: and therefore they are prey to any kind of violent act you can imagine. So, um, you know, legalization will, uh, you know, lead to the safety of sex workers. You know, so that's why I think. And you know, in terms of, uh, you know, I mean, I think it's a transaction just as well, like anybody else. As long as somebody is not coerced into it or anything right. like that. I mean, I have met women, uh, you know, um, who are, you know. This is what I do, you know, and uh, you know I'm not going to do it for a while. I'm working my way through school, and there you go, you know. Uh, and they're you know they're fully in control of themselves, and I think that's basically the only uh, you know legitimate way to be into sex work. But you know if you're pimped out or you know that, that's that's not good whatsoever, you know seriously. Okay.
1: So so much we've talked about, but there is something that you know you mentioned when you came in. We ask you a few questions yeah. uh, I want to go to white privilege what is white privilege mm-hmm. and what is it like for a white male such as yourself
0: yeah um, well, let me tell you um, when we go back 30, 40, 50 years um, I heard about racism and you know, I was you know I was um, raised in Quebec which is you know a French-English uh, thing That you know the, the French-English discourse seems to dominate everything but you know it was growing up I heard about racism and I think geez you know this is wrong this is a shame you know uh, but I'm not racist therefore I don't have to think about it mm-hmm. and this is the way for I was for a long time particularly before I went to school, um, so I, I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of white white people, do sort of uh, still think that way. Oh, well I would never do that. You know, certainly not for me. I mean, I have black friends, you know, and uh, you know, and all you know, and you're sort of telling yourself. But um, what you're doing there is you're just putting yourself right outside of the entire system, saying, "Well, that you know, that's what they do, but it's nothing to do with me." Right. And that's simply not, that's simply not true. White privilege is, uh, is something that I have not been aware of probably most of my life, you know, until maybe 45, 50 years old. Uh, you know, because um, I never heard of the uh, concept before. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is the fact that, uh, you know, this doesn't happen to you. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't have people saying, oh, you're in school, or good for you, or, or, anything like this so you don't get um, you know you're not refused service Mm -hmm. or um you know, uh, any anything like this. Mm. I think, first of all, white people have you know really a duty within a racist society to be aware of their position in it. Uh, and, you know, if you feel that you are basically treated uh, preferentially because you're white, uh, I think it would be nice to speak out uh, because of that as well. But um, I think awareness. Uh, I think also listening. You know, um, to me, I've heard this... Nothing worse than sort of a white guy championing the cause of you know you shouldn't be uh, you know um, you know silencing silencing uh, black people for example and speaking out and being the most outraged about racism and that kind of thing. I think uh, white people have a duty to shut up and listen very much you know to the experiences of people of color to the people of people who aren't white. I think heterosexuals have. Uh, Duty to shut up and listen as well to listen to the experiences of LGBT people, mm-hmm. and not sort of, you know, be, you know, um, you know, uh, drown out their voices, and uh, you know, and I think as a teacher, uh, sometimes you do have these discussions, and you know, my duty is not to not to say, well, this is what it's like. Um, uh, there's one thing in the sociology of the body, for example, I mean, I teach about the sociology of hair, a fascinating history of hair, particularly the fascinating history of African-American hair that, uh, you know, the women used to straighten it in the 1920s, 30s, and 40s just to fit in, right. you know. <clears throat> um, and, I, you know, I thought at one point, you know, here I am, here I'm a white guy telling people if some of my students are black women about their hair, you know, and I don't even have any hair. right? <laughs> so there we go. So, um, But what I did was I had, you know, there's uh, a really great student and uh, he did a wonderful project. So I asked if I could, you know, show his videos. He made a video for me about, uh, about black hair. So I showed his first. But, you know, um, I can tell you about the history of it and I can tell you about uh, the theory of this and that, but I can't tell you about what it feels like. And I think people... Uh, uh, you know, um, very often people uh, forget that.
1: There we go. Yeah, nice.
0: So, in, in a word, shut up and listen to people. You know, that's, that's the, uh, yeah, that'd be my advice.
1: It's, in, it's interesting that you mentioned about um, the hair. <laughs> Where black women, at one point, were straightening out the hair, as you can see, yes. Kiera Kira just kind of let it flow. Um, yeah. <laughs> she, she, just let it flow. But you're absolutely. It
3: took me a long time to get to that point. Hmm. Even just embracing the hair, you know, I totally went through the whole. Straightening the hair and
0: mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm. and whatnot thing too. Yeah,
0: did you relate to my lecture on that? Was
3: um, yeah, I I, I noticed there's a one part where you mentioned even just the way the stores are organized with yeah, the hair products. Yes. You know, there's like gajillions of different shampoos and whatever, and then there's a tiny little ethnic hair product section.
0: Exactly. Uh, exactly. Things like that.
3: Yeah. No, I did. I did remember that. Oh,
0: me, sure.
1: You know, my
0: purpose is fulfilled. So, yes, yes. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's very interesting because um, I think that sort of, like, changes the dialogue because now you have the standard of beauty. What is beauty? Right, right, right. right. And, you know, even from, like, you know, before, in order for a black actress to get into a movie, she has to look a certain way. You have to. You couldn't be your authentic self in this situation. Even getting a job, you
0: know, I mean, you know, um, I think I was watching a movie you know and a secretary was wearing these African style earrings and like the was, big, hoops and, you know, big hoops yeah could you be less African you know I mean right you know dress more you know and then the person didn't know what to uh, say but you know obviously it's dressed more white
2: yeah. you know,
0: kind of thing and that's the standard of the, yes, you know, that's the that is the standard for, you know I have no idea how these things feel uh, I know I know how some things feel when I comes to uh, sexual orientation, but, uh, you know, and I would not begin to tell people how it feels, uh, you know, I, I would only listen to people,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah. which like, is why I like interviewing.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that's how you learn. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
3: No, I just, I remember in uh, your sexualities class, we talked a little bit about where race and sexuality meet, like you told us about the whole process of cult colonialization and how yeah. that went to the sort of st- fetishization of certain races and even yes, the national exactly. geographic thing maybe you could tell us a bit about about. yeah the
0: um well, I think you know it began with with Europe uh, going out and uh, colonial, you know, um, colonizing the world. Um, looking at uh, you know, looking at the people who lived in the, the rest of the world as somehow some subhuman. But um, you know, in terms of uh, black men, you know, uh, there is the myth of supersexuality. You know, all black men have gargantuan penises, and uh, you know they can just go at it all day and that kind of thing and that's been around for uh, the longest time you know and it comes out of the days of colonialism uh, you know where uh, white people were just sort of you know very sexualizing uh, black men and black women or, you know and brown men and brown women uh, so I mean that's uh, that's been around for a while and you also see that in sports um, you know where uh, so you know I think I think casters a little bit better uh, uh, these days but um, you know they talk about it, you know this guy he can run so fast he's not even human you know and, right. uh, and that sort of thing and that um, uh, this guy is like an animal you know the ones fighting and, and the way they talk about you know black uh, athletes um, even in terms of uh, sexual harassment suits you know if a white guy uh, is caught you know cheating on his wife it's well it's the failure of a human being if a black guy is uh, caught, um, you know, fe- you know, um, um, cheating on his wife. It's the failure of a race, and that's. But again, I think uh, that uh, sportscasters are a little bit more aware uh, of these uh, assumptions they made some days. But you know, those were so common, so common back then. You know. so, yeah, I mean, so
1: I talked about uh,
0: that again. And I think that's what you're referring to. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah. yeah
1: exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, thank you. I mean, it's so much. <laughs> To, to learn from these interviews to get a different perspective to have these open dialogue and open conversations um, because it's a lot of uh, there's just so much of this person says and that person said and then you get to people like I grew up in a like I said I grew up in Newfoundland mm-hmm. you know some of my friends today don't believe the cause and the, and the reason and the things that are going on they think it's a part of a government plan to win an elections, and it's like well Let's slow down. Before the election, which is just happening now, let's go back to the 90s. Let's go back. Even when you listen to hip-hop music, they told their history through, they told their story through that, their frustrations and things like that, and talking about the neighborhood and how they would get terrorized. What about that? There was no election being ran at the time. So it became very interesting. Um, I guess my thing is, how do I even began to maybe have a conversation with these folks so that they understand that this is not this this goes beyond <laughs> winning an election or do I just kind of leave it alone and say in terms of you know, the, the assumptions that we make. Right, in, in terms of In terms of the assumption Like how does one deal with that And still be able to maintain this relationship Making sure that they're like still kind of okay. like healthy You know, with friends Or just leave it alone and go on I mean, at what point do we bring it all together And say, alright, we can You know, we can We can begin to understand each other Like you mentioned several exactly. times about listening exactly. I mean, I, I think that's a, a difficult
0: situation That a lot of people have been in you know in that um, somebody says something which is you know um Really, you know, uh, veiledly racist or veiledly homophobic, or uh, you know, or you know, you can tell that it comes from some really, you know, um, racist kind of assumptions about you. Um, do you face them right now? Do you do you actually speak out? Um, you know, ideally, I think you know it would be uh, it would be a good idea mm-hmm. to speak out, but um, sometimes it's difficult, particularly if you have you know. If somebody is your friend or uh, you know you're meeting your friend's grandmother and then she says something like uh, oh you know and I Jewed him down and you know you could call her on that and say that's a very anti-Semitic the thing to say uh, and I probably is a good idea, and you can do it nicely if you like. But um, you know, you're going to make your friend feel uncomfortable, you know, uh, kind of thing. And you know, do you, and a lot of us don't want to sort of face it because of family dynamics. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'll never try to change Grandpa Joe, so I'll just try and turn a deaf ear and that sort of thing. I hope that's that answered your question.
1: No, it does. It yeah, does. I, and then once again, I mean,
0: that's, that's my opinion on yeah. it. Yeah, you know, a lot of other people would be different saying no damn it you face it every single time right and life often doesn't you know lead us down that simple a path you know and I I admire people that uh, that do um but a lot of us, you know, we don't want to alienate your family or anything like this. you know.
3: Well, I think there's yeah. a level of just emotional burden that comes with really acknowledging it every time. Because obviously, you know, it gets bigger. Like now we're exactly. talking about it. Now we're having to address it.
0: Exactly. Yeah. You know, what do you do if you're, you know, this is not my situation. I'm just pulling it away. What do you do if your brother marries a woman who is just an ignorant racist? Right. Um,
2: mm.
0: Well, do you face her with everything? Or, uh, you know, um, do you try and you know, be nice about it or, you know, it's very offensive and that sort of thing. I mean, a lot of uh, situations, I think, you know, if people are, you know, they're complex because they involve family issues and uh, this sort of thing. So, um, a lot of my students tell me they turn a blind eye to their, you know, grandfather uh, basically uses the N-word and all this sort of thing, you know, so,
1: anyway yeah that's interesting Um, anything from your side?
3: Um, no you mentioned another thing just about we talked a bit about like represent we talked about the idea of the blonde bombshell oh Oh, yeah we talked about National Geographic and how they um, with their images how they were known as like taking pictures of like minority women or tribal women or
0: African women exactly topless but never white women exactly you know so Um, one of my powerpoints so you notice that it has a um, bare-breasted black woman it is on a postcard and and it was something like, oh, I don't know, 1912 or something like mm-hmm. that, so very early. And it was a postcard that was sent to, uh, I believe, Pablo Picasso, the artist, but you know, here's a bare-breasted black woman in 1912, which is just out of the uh, Victorian era, and it went through the mail. I mean, just opened like that in the mail. Um, you know, and that kind of shocked me, you know, that, uh, because if that was a white woman, I mean, you know, eight people would be arrested, including the post, uh, you, know, the, you know, the letter carriers, but... Um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, there used to be a nickname for uh, National Geographic. I mean, some people used to call it National Pornographic. You know, because when you were like fourteen years old, you know, you would, you know, these boys would sort of comb through it to find find a bare-breasted woman, but it was always a woman of color, exactly. And uh, you know, this was okay, you know, but you know, you would never, ever, ever, ever see uh, a white woman, you know. And you could have. I mean, you could show women bathing in sweet. Eden or something like that you know uh, but no 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 they, you know Africa bare breasted women great okay um, so there there was a bias there but I think National Geographic eventually realized that you know, certainly uh, but that postcard from 1912
1: approximately that's shocking because it went through the mail it wouldn't go through the mail today <laughs> I mean going back a hundred I mean, years ago you know uh, going back even back to slavery where worse things go um <laughs> (laughs) way worse things happened then they used to make little flyers about who they were hanging that day and everybody came and gathered around to view and do different things Um, so I'm going to ask you a very bold question here and if you can answer it if you want to or not answer and that's totally fine Uh, my question do you think that the white race um, respect or at least view black the black skin black people Um, do you think that there is do you think that there is that respect there for another federal human being. do you think that as a black people I view <laughs> often
0: um I wouldn't say yes or no because that would you know I don't want to characterize the entire white race gotcha however um, while I think things are getting better in Europe you know as Europe is tremendously diverse these days it has a very very dark history you know of uh, you know of, you know the, the white people not only white people but British white people we are at the top of the pyramid and uh, you know um, you know in Africa they're all there, and you can't even tell you know who's male and female. And no, there was absolutely historically no respect whatsoever. Um, things are much better now, um, but um, you know, I mean, particularly with what happened uh, two days ago, uh, you know, in the Capitol Hill yeah. White House, you see hmm. people with these incredibly racist, um, you know, um, uh, logos on their T-shirts, uh, and you know they're white supremacists and they're proud to be white supremacists I mean can you imagine being proud to be a white supremacist um, if- so I I think there's a you know a dangerous move towards conservatism uh, these days, but I think you know if you ask me is there more respect uh, over the past hundred years you know, I would say yes mm-hmm. you know but um, you know we're we're in a we're we're in a society where we notice race I noticed you were black right away mm-hmm. when, uh, I'm sure you noticed I was white right away mm-hmm. but, um, you know as soon as we stop noticing noticing that then I think we got a good society
1: mm-hmm. you know, right? it's the first thing we notice about people why is that it's, it's interesting yeah. yeah well when I when I when I found out that um, you were a gay man yeah a gay professor right I got very excited <laughs> I was like I gotta have this interview now yeah, exactly. you know I was you know because there's this thing where you know I'm a firm believer in respecting people no matter where they're from exactly and things like that so I was you know from my part I think you were here when we were having that discussion I was like this is exciting I know stuff. <laughs> let me get down to this research now. exactly right um, I, I think it's it's fantastic and you know a part of me think that things have gotten better but we still have that dark history and some people still have that dark history to their hearts uh, by the way you hear those beeps yeah just ignore the beeps okay we'll moving in audio strictly. No problem. <laughs> um, so, so, um, we still, many of us still carry that dark history with us. And the question is, why is it that with all this information, I can go on Google and find out anything about somebody? everything I got here came directly from Google. And if it wasn't something here that's true, you can correct me then. No, nope, that, that seems to be fine. And I did, I didn't write that chapter you <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, yeah
0: you know when you write a textbook with somebody generally they do half the chapters you do the others and you know, so there we go but, you know, I don't know um, as a uh, as a gay man uh, I've seen tremendous uh, progress you know you should have a long way to go but um, you know um Nobody looks at me sideways when I have when I have my partner beside me anymore, uh, right. and I've never had a bad experience at Mount Royal College or even a microaggression that I can yeah. really think of. You know, uh, that's amazing. It, it is
1: amazing. It? I mean, it'd be nice. You know, and this is a conservative province as well. I mean. Absolutely. Yeah. And it'd be nice for her as a black woman as well to walk around one day and be like, "Hey, you know what? I've been here my whole life, or I've worked mm-hmm. with these people my whole life, and I never felt." Any microaggression and they never made me feel some type of way because now exactly. we're talking real progress. Exactly right. Exactly. It's not just a handful of people saying I experienced this and I experienced that. But now you know, I mean, and, and it must be. Did you ever think when you were when you were younger? When did you come out? By the way, like how and how describe that experience for us? Like
0: age twenty five. Okay, so uh, let's see. And this
1: was before you went. Yeah, it was kind, yeah. of, a, it
0: was kind of a long process. You know that you know first my right, close their friends would know then uh, then I started to go into the gay bars and people would see me and became more and more eventually you know uh, and eventually they knew but then I met people who were proud to be gay uh, or thought nothing wrong with it and I thought well geez you know uh, you know um this is great Uh, and um, so I went through I mean about a year of you know half in the closet half out of the closet Uh, you know and and you do that for protection you know if you're if you're in um, you know Kentucky uh, you know in a a diner in the country um, you might butch it up a little bit uh, you know for Mm self-preservation you know because uh, you never know what people think you know down that area but you know in a city um, you know, i I you know, I don't care anymore. I mean I and I don't tell people I'm gay normally because uh I just you know it's it's it's
1: no longer a declaration, you know, to me. It's it's mm-hmm. part of me. And can we and I want you to clarify this to so the best of your ability. Mm-hmm. Can we be born gay? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I did
0: see that. I do know that it's very... I, I do know that change is... I would say impossible uh for example a lot of people on the pray away the gay uh organizations people say oh you know I'm heterosexual now and I'm dating women and I slept with a woman in a gray no you're a gay man who <laughs> dates women and sleeps with women right but you know you're not you haven't changed your sexual orientation uh I think you've just simply refreshed it I mean I could go out tomorrow and uh I don't know um uh, do anything I want that doesn't mean uh uh, you know, that I'm not gay anymore, you know. Um, so, you know, um really and you know it's, it's about time that sort of thing became illegal in society sorry I lost track of the
1: question no that's and that's completely fine I, yeah. I actually want to go back to the army um, you know and how maybe that might have impacted um, the army the, not the army war war maybe like World war one oh, okay. or World war war two was not the army I said. <laughs> let's go back to the army right. uh, uh, so let's go back to World war war one do you know like when or when the men were going to war and, you know, there was very little women presence there and they were kind of, you know, do yeah, you they, think that and, that had any sort of impact, trickle-down effect to, like, what we see now where legalization, you know, people are coming out of the closet? Did that influence the gay yeah, community I mean, at you all? you know,
0: back then, if you're looking at male-only uh, areas, you do have, uh, you know, homosexual behavior and, and a lot of times uh, that would used to be defined as something Called situational homosexuality. In other words, you know, you're you know, you're amongst men here, so you're going to maybe do this or that, etc. But you know, once you're basically out of that, you don't, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think, uh, you know sexuality is not a matter of either or uh, you know, you are gay or you're straight or you're bisexual I mean, I, I, there are lots of definitions now, and I think basically the millennials and the echo boomers are, you know, they have definitions like, I'm flexible I'm open I'm bi-curious uh, I'm queer you know, um I haven't met the right person yet, or you know. And back in my days, uh, the only reason I'm gay as opposed to queer uh, is because that's the identity that was attached to me back in in the in the in the. Early seventies, but um, nowadays people are just finding different labels for anything. I mean, you know, people say I'm mostly straight, but every now and then I like to blah blah blah. You know, Mm. Um, and I think that's wonderful. You know, I think the fluidity of uh, of uh, sexual uh, identity is coming out, Mm. and people are being open about it. Uh, Before, they just used to call people hypocrites. You know, Uh, you know, I'm married, but every now and then I just go out secretly and do this that and the other Mm -hmm. sexuality is far more complex than an either or thing you know Um, you know I mean we have we have incredible variations in the type of people we find are are attractive some of us like skinny people some of us like uh, non skinny people tall short black white uh, you know old young Um, why should male female have sort of a special category Mm. Um, so I think, you know, I, I think the ideal situation is, you know, well, who do you find attractive? Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that would, that would be a great way to have sexual to, uh, you know, to uh, define sexuality.
1: Yeah. But it isn't, you know, we categorize things uh, so much. Yeah, I have another question, but I want her to go. Do you have uh, something to follow up with that?
3: Um, do you feel like some of, like, so I think we've talked about before how some of the categories... Are a more accepted, like in the in LGBT community, and mm-hmm. also this tendency to put things in categories and then add all these terms like I think you described it as like a medicalization or yeah like
0: GLBTIAAPPQQ I I don't even know anymore Mm -hmm. exactly Uh, finally 2S I think you know in the beginning you know certainly you know certainly uh, say 1972 or something that's about the time I came out uh, we talked about gays and straights gays and lesbians and that was it you know and there there were some people bisexual we never really believed there were bisexuals there's you know a lot of people afraid to admit they're gay so they say oh I'm bisexual or something but uh, you know uh, but then you know the T's came you know the transsexuals uh, you know lesbian, gay, bisexual and transgendered people and a lot of people said wait a minute we don't want the T on our G." be because uh, that has nothing to do with us that's all about gender and it's not about sexual orientation uh, but the answer is you know, look uh, trans people have been part of the gay community for hundreds you know three or four hundred years and uh, they're part of their discriminated against as well as well as having you know very unique uh, issues of discrimination against them so uh, but a lot of people said no no you know I'm a map. Masculine man. I don't want any T's in my in my acronym, you know, or, or in my abbreviation. No, I mean there are all kinds of uh, there are all kinds of queer people. Um, you know, some of us are gender neutral, some of us are not. Some of us, uh, you know, some of us change our genders. Uh, you know, and that's fine. You know, it's, a lot of people say, you know, why is that acronym so long? Well. I don't know um, you know I guess we need a word that would encompass the whole thing and that
1: word is queer you yeah, know so uh, I, you know and uh, perhaps that's the best word to use and, and that's like the problem because sometime now it's getting to a point where there's so many what you can say, what you cannot say, but, you know. So I found myself the other day, I was like, what's the best way to address um, a gay person? Like, what do I, you know? Yeah. Uh, if a straight person says "queer," uh, that is perfectly acceptable,
0: is it? It's, yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, but I mean, you know, if it's if it's a if it's a man who's
1: gay, you say "gay." But then, okay. Then, you know, that's that's fine. As long as you say it with a smile.
0: Yeah, exactly. And that's with, important.
1: Always with a smile. Always exactly. with a smile. So I do have when I when I was uh, when I was younger and back in high school, especially where um, the history of black people weren't being taught. So a lot of the time, I would steal books and I started to read books and started to become more and more aware of um, some of the history of slavery, like God, and things I like that. Learned, never learned about black people. <laughs> yeah, no, you and I, you and I both. So I just yeah. stole all the, I just stole everything that I could get my hands on, and that's how I got interested in, in reading. Those are the only thing I would read. By the way, I didn't go venturing out and. Read some superhero books. Exactly. But the question that I have for you, uh, John Stenbeck. Yes. Novelist. And um, he's written for years and he write on, you know, I think at one point his books were banned from American school and were not allowed to talk. So he was kind of like blacklisted because he pointed out specifically the uh, hypocrisy of America from from people with uh, mental issues um, to like gay people. What I want you to, kind of you know walk back into when you and there was way that would talk even in the movies you saw a little bit of that where they didn't come out and say oh yeah you're queer they didn't say you were gay it yeah, wasn't yeah. direct like that right, it, right. they would use terms like you're sweet or you know all Late these loafers. right 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 and can you tell me maybe how that made you feel it, it's emasculating
0: you know, uh, you know Oh you're gay You're limp wristed you're, uh, you're a powder puff Oh sure honey blah, 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 You know and, and all this sort of thing Maybe it was, it was very emasculating uh, You know I'm a man You know uh, particularly uh, You know somebody started using Female uh, You know female names uh, And that sort of thing It's emasculating uh, Gay men are men. You know, uh perhaps you know, there is such a thing as camp, where you might sort of cap it up and uh you know, and act uh, you know, amongst ourselves every now and then. But uh, generally, you know, the idea is that if you gay you know, back in those days you walked into a gay bar that you're gonna basically find a lot of screaming queens. Uh you know. Uh no, you know, you walk into a gay bar even back then and you basically find a lot of very normal looking people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, with maybe two or three Mm-hmm. it was amongst uh, maybe a hundred or so but um, you know yeah it's 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 not very nice I've always hated it you know uh <sighs> And um, I don't like that. Uh, you know, I don't like that uh, feminization. You know, but uh, there are some gay men that are just naturally feminine, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think they should be who they are uh, completely. Mm-hmm. You know? And then there's some gay men are are masculine But uh, just to assume that you're feminine, you know, is you're female. Um, that uh, you know, oh, you're gay. Can you do my hair? <laughs> and she, you know. Can I say chef. Um, yes, you can. All right. Well, <laughs> yes, you Right. It's basically, like, uh,
1: you know, right. basically, uh, you know um, God, I would have sworn more if I knew that. People, people speak yeah. uh, how they, you know. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. You know, so there we go. All right, thank you for that. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of, uh,
0: you know, reading about slavery, um, I think what's interesting is that Americans uh, try and give, you know, give their their... Children, you know, an inspiring history about how great America is, right? Right. Um, But something I really thought about. you know, Marx once said all hitherto history is the history of class struggle well you can make an argument that all hitherto history of uh, the United States is the history of racism you know and everything uh, that happened in you know in the 400 years of slavery as well as the as well as the century afterwards and very much today is the history of race race and racism you know and people don't realize that I mean you ask you an American and you know what, what was the civil war about oh it was about states' rights yeah it was about state, states' rights to have slavery you know and that's right they, they don't, they don't know that they don't know that you know um, now I, you know I wouldn't put, put that to the United States as well I mean Canada has a lot to answer for as well uh, you know a lot of the hitherto history of I mean, all hitherto history of Canada is the history of racism as well. You know, the with the uh, you, know, um, you know the the attempted extermination of indigenous people, uh, et cetera. You know. and you know, I remember reading. You know, there was a. Um, there was a documentary I saw um, a few years ago, and it was the it was called The Book of Negroes. Yes. There, yeah, you know, oh, there we go. <laughs> Here's this woman, you know, she was treated so badly in the United States, and then she goes up to uh, Nova Scotia, and I thought, damn it, you know, you know, as soon as you get to Canada, you're in a state. You're in good hands. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's basically she was treated just the same. Yeah. You know, oh. So, uh, there we go. And that was, you know, I'd love to think of my country as, you know, the best country
1: in the world, but no, we have, we have problems like anybody else. Yeah, so. Yeah. Um, what I, is there anything that you kind of left out that you would like to pass on or speak on now? And your final advice and where people can find you? Yeah. Um, well,
0: uh, I study people who have had experiences with ghosts. Uh, if you'd like to, uh, you know, if you've had such experiences, please call me. Uh, no, not, don't call me. Email me. I mean, uh, you know, you can find my uh, email. It's DaveLine at uh, MtRoyal.ca. But uh, if you didn't write that down, you can uh, you can see it. You can get at at the MRU website mtroyal.ca
1: Ladies and gentlemen, thank you all for tuning in to 18AvenuePodcast.com Just as a quick reminder here 18AvenuePodcast.com is a platform where we talk to people um, we learn about the culture, we learn about what they do and the things they're passionate about and get their stories here. Thank you so much. My name is Rico Bottles and today my very special guest is David Aveline and my, Thank you. Yes, and uh, co-hosting beside me today is Kia Carter. Thank you all. We're out.